a couple kids. Um, Luke is nine, and Avery is six. And uh, I brought Avery's devotional book here to, to service with me this morning. Um, we can tell it's Avery's because the cover's ripped off of it. Because she's one of those kids that could tear up an anvil with a cotton ball. Like, anytime something breaks around the house, we don't have to ask who did it. Like, we just know, Avery, come here, what did you do? You know, and so she gets the, you know, the look on her face and, and eventually confesses. This book really doesn't look like much to you and me, but just recently, um, it made a tremendous impact in my life as a father. One of the great joys of being a dad, um, especially for me, is uh, uh, one of the duties that I have. And um, every, every night when I'm home, which is most nights um, when I'm home at the kids' bedtime, I'm the one that takes the kids upstairs and tucks them into bed. And uh, as you know, if you've been a parent before, sometimes this can be a bit difficult. And, and Luke, um, he's never really been difficult at, at bedtime. He's always done pretty well. Now that he's nine and, you know, he's getting a little bit older, um, there's very little involved in that. You know, we just tell him, hey, you need to go to bed. And he goes and I go and pray over him and, and spend just a few minutes talking with him. Um, and I always save Avery until last um, because she's got to get 37 princesses and stuffed animals situated around her and everything. So she's doing all that while I'm taking care of Luke. And then I go into her room and I pray over her. And um, usually, uh, whenever I get her tucked in and, and we say, you know, or now, now I lay me down to sleep, all that stuff and everything, right about the time I'm, I'm pulling her door closed, she comes up with something that she needs to tell me. This is an every night occurrence. And, and it's typically not something she needs to tell me. It's something that she wants to ask me. And typically it's something like, can I go to the bathroom? Or can I get a drink of water? Or will you tell me a story? And, you know, I'm like, Avery, it's time to go to bed. We've wasted enough time. But a few nights ago, something different happened. She asked a different question. I was walking out the door, and she said, Daddy... And I turned and I said, what, Avery? You know, because you get frustrated and everything. She said, Daddy, what's today's date? And I thought, out of all the questions you ever ask at bedtime, this is by far the oddest question. So I told her the day's date and I said, why? And she said, I haven't read my Bible today and I wanted to be sure that I read the right date. Well, you know, punch me in the face, you know, first of all for me getting frustrated and but second of all like my heart beamed with pride so I watched as she took this book off of her nightstand she flipped on the light and she opened it up to the passage for that day and in her little kindergarten reading voice she went through every word and every word of the scripture and then closed it put it back on the table rolled over and went off into dreamland See, Avery wasn't told ever to go upstairs and to read her what she calls her Bible. This isn't something that Sarah and I specifically told her. Avery, every night before you go to bed, you need to get your Bible and read it. Now, don't get me wrong. We discuss the importance of God's Word in our home all the time. And as our schedule allows, we even have family devotions. But this wasn't something that she was directly told to do. 
her desire to read God's word, it didn't begin when we purchased her this book. Rather, I believe it began many years ago with this book. What I hold in my hands here is my grandmother's Bible. She doesn't need it anymore because she's already gone on to be with Jesus. But in my mind's eye, I can see her poring over these pages and underlining and highlighting and dog-earing the corners of the pages as she sits in her living room recliner. And I can imagine her reading these scriptures with her family in mind. And as I was thumbing through it in preparation for this message, I found a place where she has a little note card in here and it just has all the members of her family and their phone numbers listed on it. And then right next to that, it has Joshua 24 highlighted, which reads, Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I can't help but think that for years and years and years, she sat there with this Bible in her lap, and she prayed that scripture over her marriage. She prayed that scripture over her children and her children's children, and now her children's children's children. And as she served for over 50 years in her church nursery, I would imagine that she would take those babies and pull them up into her lap and rock them and pray that prayer over those kids and over their kids and over their grandkids that she saw over the course of those 50 years come up through her nursery. See, Mamaw's Bible, it's old and it's worn and it's dog-eared. It represents the legacy that she's passed on to my dad and to me now that I'm passing on to kids in our children's ministry, to kids like Luke and Avery who are growing up in my house. See, whether it was this Bible on a table in the living room or whether it was my mom's devotional one-year Bible that sits on the ottoman in the sitting room at their house or whether it's the Bible apps that I have on my iPad and my iPhone, somewhere along the line, Avery has come to discover that the Bible adds value to her life. It wasn't something that was directly taught or pushed onto her, but instead it was something that was caught through the people of influence in her life. Speaking of the Bible, if you have your Bible, why don't you flip with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy is in the Old Testament. It's one of the first few books of the Bible. Deuteronomy is a part of that first part of the Old Testament where we really learn about the children of Israel and we learn about after creation and after Noah and after Abraham and we get into the story of Moses and we kind of see that Moses is bringing God's people out of captivity and we come to this place where God is beginning to speak through Moses to his people, to this, this group of, of, of chosen people, God's people, the children of Israel. And God's giving them some laws and decrees and things that he wants them to do. And so if you've got a Bible today, I want you to read it with me. We're going to read a, a good chunk of this chapter in different stages through our time today. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen or you can follow along 
on a Bible app of some kind. This is what it says beginning in verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all these decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Now, interestingly to me, right up front, it says that these are the commands that God is giving for them to observe in the land. They, they haven't yet taken possession of the land that God has given to them. We actually see that really taking place after Moses is gone and Joshua really kind of takes control of the people and leads them across into the promised land. But God is giving them these laws and decrees and commands and ordinances that they should live by because when they get into that place, when they get into that land, what they're going to be is they're going to be a group of people among other groups of people that believe differently than them. All of the people around them, all the people that they come in contact with will believe in different gods. They will live in different ways. They will have different belief systems and the ways that they conduct their lives. And so God begins to lay out for them how they are to live among these groups of people that are so much different than them. And he says, hey, when you get there, I want you to follow these laws so that people know that you're different. And he, he talks to them a little bit about what they're going to gain out of that. But I, I, I kind of you know, emphasized a certain few words, but I want to I read back through this again and just make sure that you hear this. These are the commands, decrees, and laws that the Lord, your God, directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you and then your children and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live by keeping all his commands and, and decrees that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Now, I don't know if you can pick it up or not, but there's some yous in this passage. This is two verses of Scripture. And the, the words of God through Moses to his people is very, very personal. If I were to stand up to you today and say, hey, this is what you need to do, and this is what God's saying to you, and this is what I think you need to do, you would assume... That I'm talking to who? You, right? And so right up front in Deuteronomy chapter 6, as God is speaking through Moses, there is a very personal call here from God through Moses to the people that are hearing what God is saying. It's very personal. It's very individual. But beyond that, right in the middle, I mean right in the middle there, what we read is he says, so that you and who? Your children and their children, after them, may fear the Lord your God. Now, Blake did a great job talking about Avery and connecting Avery to not just him and Sarah, but to his mom and dad and to the other sides of his family and to his grandmother and to other members of kind of his family tree. And we all have that. Now, maybe your family tree is not kind of filled with people of faith. Maybe your family tree, when you go all the way up and you look at all the different branches and you've, you've done the genealogy projects, and maybe there are people that were some of the most God-awful, hateful, Satanistic-looking people you've ever met in your whole life. And that's okay. Because we're going to talk a little bit today about what it looks like even for you when the people before you were not those that were God-fearing. But what this command says that God gave through Moses to his people is he says this is not just for you personally, but it's also for your children and for their children. There is a personal call, an individual call for every person that hears this, and there is a responsibility that they have for those that will come after them 
that is far beyond just their individual call. And then the last thing that he says in verse 2 is he says, So keep all of the commands that I give to you so that you may enjoy long life. And here's what I would say to you, that instruction always includes a blessing. Instruction always includes a blessing. When I tell my kids to do something and I give them instruction, hey, go clean your room. Now, sometimes the blessing is, hey, we'll go get ice cream. Sometimes the blessing is you won't get a spanking, right? I mean, it could be a lot of different things. But instruction always includes blessing. I think Pastor Blake's going to reference in a few minutes. But in the New Testament, God talks about children obeying their parents. And he says, so that your days may be long. And right, there's this same kind of, this same kind of blessing. The instruction that's given here is he says, hey, listen, you keep the commands so that you may enjoy long life. Let's continue reading in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Now, it's more than just words written here. This, this first part of this passage in verse 5 is something that we hear quoted in the New Testament. It's something that we talk about. It's the greatest commandment. Um, it's written on our coffee mugs and it's memes we put on Facebook. But it says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. But beyond just those words, then God through Moses says, listen, these commandments that I'm giving you, they're not just words to be spoken. And they're not just things for your ears to hear. He says, you should impress them on your heart. You should get them inside of you. They should be a part of the very core of your being. And then not only that. Once you've internalized those things, once they become so much a part of who you are that you can't hardly do anything apart from loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, not only that, now you are to impress them on your children. And you're to talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And when I read this, I think, man, okay. So not just my faith is something that is internal for me. It's not just that my faith is something that I should, oh, this, this is between me and God. You know, it's just... It's just a personal relationship. It's just, it's just me and Jesus, right? And so when I come, I just kind of worship, and it's just, it's just me and him, and, and I get something out of that. And then I go home, and I kind of live completely separate from my faith for six other days. No, that's, that, that's entirely wrong. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, it says, okay, let's, let's put it in our heart, and then let's make sure we get that to our kids. And let's make sure when we sit in our homes, it's a part of our conversation. When we're traveling on the road, it's a part of our conversation. Everywhere that we go and everything that we do should be about the commandments of God. We impress them upon our children. Again, this is not just for parents. This is for all of us who have any influence on anybody in the next generation. I've always read this passage and and passages like this where Moses is coming down from the mountain. He's got the Ten Commandments. And here's how I pictured in my mind's eye. And this is not scriptural. This is Jeremy's opinion, okay? I picture Moses coming down the mountain and he's holding the big two, you know, stones and they're etched in them as the Ten Commandments. He comes and kind of drops them down in the sand. He says, hey, been hanging out with God. Here's some things that he says. So let's just go over these. Love God, right? Don't have idols and, and don't kill people. Right? And don't covet some stuff and don't commit adultery. And, you know, I mean, he's just going through all these things. And I think everybody's just nodding. Oh, yeah, Moses, you're awesome. You talk to God. That's amazing. And I just picture, because I remember me as a kid, like I was always asking questions. But even beyond me, my brother was always asking questions. Like, you'd be like, the sky is blue. And he'd be like, but why is it blue? Be like, well, because that's the way God made it. But why did God make it blue? I mean, like, he always had questions. And so I picture my brother kind of behind my mom and dad's leg as they're listening to Moses. And then when everybody leaves that moment, 
And like Moses goes off to like hang out with the leaders of the children of Israel and all the moms and dads are like getting their kids and they're walking back to their tents and they're doing exactly what Blake does now. And he's like, hey, it's time to go to bed. We, when we get back to the tent, everybody just go to your corner and it's time. And they're like, hey, can I get a snack? And they're like, no, we'll get manna tomorrow. Go get in the tent, right? And so everybody's getting to the corner of the tent. Here's what I picture the kids doing. I picture them walking up. You're going to play the part of the dad now. And I'm going to play the part of the kid because I have sunburn today. And so I'm going to walk up and I'm going to go, hey. Dad, what oh, is... I don't need to no, 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 no spankings. Sorry, sorry. Hey, Dad, what does covet mean? Right? And then, and then I picture them walking along and Dad's explaining what covet... And then they walk up and go, okay, what, what does it mean to have no idols? What's an idol? Right? There's nowhere in the passage where Moses breaks these things down for the next generation. I think that responsibility was left to the parents. I think moms and dads... And aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas are the ones who had to take the commands of God and the instructions of God and help explain them to the next generation. And I think that's still a call for all of us. Let's continue reading in verse 20. This is what it says. In the future, when your son asks you what is the meaning of the stipulations and decrees and laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders and great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. And the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law, listen to this, before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Now, there's so much goodness in there. Like, I feel like I could preach a six-week revival on the five verses I just read. Because there's so much goodness right there. He says, listen, when you, when you get there, one day your kids are going to ask you, why do we have these laws? Well, let me just tell you, that's still happening today. My kids are all the time asking me why we believe what we believe and why we think this and why we do this. and why. When they see how we live in difference to the ways that their friends live and the people that they're doing life with outside of our home as they're playing sports with friends and they're going to birthday parties and they're at school and they're hearing things. They're coming home and they're saying, well, why do they do that and we do this? Why do they believe that and we believe this? And it's, it's almost as if God is allowing me the opportunity to live this out, to say, here's why we believe this here's why we live this way because what we were once slaves and that's what he says and the the parents say to their kids in response in verse 25 and if we are careful to obey all this law before the lord our god as he has commanded us that will be our righteousness i get this question semi-regularly from from folks you know what happened to the people before jesus what happened to the people before the cross how were they saved how did they come into right relationship and i don't have a great answer to that there's a lot in scripture that kind of references it or or implies certain things but what we see right here is that god prior to the cross and prior to jesus was able to allow people to be in right relationship with him as they approached him through the filter of the law the law was the way that they approached him. And Jesus came and he went to the cross and he was the once for all time sacrifice. But prior to that, they had to keep the law and offer sacrifice so that they could stand right before God. And I think there's probably kids in that day that were asking moms and dads, why, 
How can we be righteous? How can we keep all these laws? There's so many. How can we always be right? How can we be in right relationship with God? How can God love us and respond to us? There was an assumption that the next generation was comfortable asking the former generation questions. There's an assumption in this text that the next generation was comfortable asking the former generation questions. And I pray and I hope that that assumption is still the reality in our church and in our families. But I, I wonder sometimes if we have that kind of culture in our church and our families where questions are acceptable. Where it's okay not to know some things. And that we're comfortable just asking, why do we do this? What is this? What does it mean? Because here's what I believe. Stories of the past grow our faith for the future. The greatest way to grow your faith for tomorrow is to hear how good God was to us yesterday. You know, to piggyback off of that, um, we fast forward several thousand years to the New Testament. We have Paul writing to um, the church in Ephesus in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And this is what he says. Children, obey your parents as the Lord wants, because this is the right thing to do. The command says, honor your father and mother. This is the first command that has a promise with it. Then everything will be well with you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not make your children angry, but raise them with the training and teaching of the Lord. Now, Paul places an onus, a responsibility on both children and parents in this passage. See, children are told to obey here simply because it's the right thing to do. Now, this kind of behavior is accepted as proper in nearly every society worldwide for children to obey their parents. This kind of behavior is right in accordance with Jewish law. You go back to the Ten Commandments, which Paul even references, honor your father and mother. That's one of the Ten Commandments. So in accordance with Jewish law, this, this behavior would have been appropriate. This kind of behavior is even in accordance with Christ's example in Luke chapter 2, Verse 51, now you know that the, the story of when Jesus, he was, he was celebrating one of the feasts with his, with his parents and they had begun to journey back home and they get a day or so away and they realize Jesus isn't with us and so they travel back, um, they travel back and they find him in the temple and he's teaching uh, some of the scholars and he, he tells them, I had to be about my father's business, Right? But then at the end of that story, Mary and Joseph, they tell him, Jesus, well, you need to come with us. And verse 51 of Luke chapter 2 says, Jesus went with them to Nazareth and was obedient to them. Jesus set that example even as a child for how we are supposed to, as children, interact with our parents in terms of obedience. Theologian Francis Folks writes this about this passage. He says, It may be that the form of Paul's expression was intended to carry the reminder that in some things, children must accept and follow before they can see all the reasons. Now, you may not have known this, but based on what Francis Folks is saying, and his understanding of what Paul is saying, that makes you and I, who use the parenting tactic of because I said so, that makes it biblical. That's right. All right? So you just feel free Amen. to just break that out anytime you want to and know that you are walking on the foundation of God's word because we've uncovered it right here because I said so. That works. 
See, obedience to parents is even linked further than all of those things. It's linked to the pursuit of holiness. We go all the way back to Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. And there it reads, The Lord said to Moses, Tell all the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. You must be holy because I am holy. So God has given this command for people to be holy. And the very next thing out of his mouth is... You must respect your mother and father. Teenagers, some of y'all need to get yourself right. (laughs) Hear what I'm saying? You want to be holy, you need to respect your mother and father. It was likely that honor your father and mother was the primary commandment taught to children in a Jewish household. And with its priority was also given the stipulation of a reward. And we like to get rewards, right? How many of you like to be rewarded? The reward here is that your days may be long on the earth. And this is not merely an individual promise, but rather it points to the fact that the strength of family life and the training of children to habits of order and obedience are the means and the marks of the stability of a community or nation. See, when the bonds of family break down, and the child's respect of mother and father begin to wane, the community then becomes decadent, and it won't endure through future generations. Unfortunately, we are seeing that happen in our own nation today. See, parents aren't left off the hook here either. Children have responsibility, but then so do parents. Parents are given the task to raise children with the teaching and training of the Lord. This word raise here in this passage, when you look it up in the original Greek, I'm not going to bore you with trying to, trying to pronounce that long word, but when you look it up in the original Greek, it literally means to nourish. When it says to raise up your children, it means to nourish them. And to nourish means to provide with food and other things that are needed to live and be healthy or to cause to develop and grow stronger. So how do we raise up a healthy generation of kids? How do we nourish them into doing what is right, the things that are going to be good for them, to help them to develop and and grow and become strong. Well, it says to teach and to train those children. And when you look those words up, the teaching and the training, you look those words up in the original Greek, it literally means discipline and correction. Discipline and correction. To discipline and correct one's child is the highest duty of Christian parenting. Training and teaching of the Lord denotes here that parents are not doing this simply at random, but rather with specific purposes of raising up a child who is fully devoted as a follower of Christ. The English church father, R.W. Dale, he said this. He said, parents should care more for their children's loyalty to Christ than for anything besides You know, sometimes being a parent is hard. Disciplining disciplining a child is never fun. But it's required if we ever want to reach the desired end result. Hebrews 12 gives us a bit of insight into the promises that come along with our discipline towards our children. Starting in verse 6, it says, The Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as his child. So hold on through your sufferings, because they are like a father's discipline. 
God is treating you as children, and all children are disciplined by their fathers. If you are never disciplined, and every child must be disciplined, you are not true children. We've all had fathers here on earth who disciplined us, and we respected them. So it is even more important that we accept discipline from the father of our spirits so we will have life. Our fathers on earth disciplined us for a short time in the way they thought was best. But God disciplines us to help us so that we can become holy as he is. We do not enjoy being disciplined. It's painful. But later, after we have learned from it, we have peace because we start living in the right way. See, check out these promises from that passage. Verse 8 says that discipline allows us to be counted as true children. Verse 9 tells us that discipline brings about life. Verse 10 shows us that discipline aids us in the pursuit of holiness. And then in verse 11, we get the fact that discipline brings about both peace and the ability to live in righteousness. Now, I ask you, why in the world would we not want those things for our children? See, the purpose of discipline is not to create better behaving children, but rather to develop fully functioning adults who are able to live peacefully and righteously in their pursuit of holiness unto God. You and I are not without responsibility in the matter, whether you have children or not. Instead, we all carry the burden of setting the example and establishing a pattern of both discipline and correction for future generations so as to ensure that our legacy will continue and that our faith will be passed down. We don't live our lives as individuals in a vacuum. Rather, our lives will play a significant role in the generations of those that will come after us. I believe it was the great theologian Russell Crowe playing the part of General Maximus in the movie Gladiator that said, what we do in life echoes in eternity. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And if Mr. Crowe is right and that statement is true, then the question becomes, what will your life be echoing to generations that come after you? What legacy are you leaving behind? Because you've realized now, it's not just about you. The life that you live is going to make an impact on generations that have yet to come. You know, our lives would be... I don't know, easier to live maybe if all that mattered was the way that we lived from our birth to our death. I mean, it doesn't mean that we wouldn't have problems. It doesn't mean we wouldn't have stress. It doesn't mean there wouldn't be things we were uncertain about. But I think if, if our lives were completely encapsulated between our birth and our death, then it changes the scope of the way that we live and the impact that our lives have beyond that. Because if we believe that it just ends when we die then we don't have to think about long-term repercussions. We don't have to think about our influence on our kids or our grandkids or those that we have influence over in our lives. We we don't have to think about any of that. We just live how we want to live. Because when we die, it's all over. It's all done. But I think the passages that we've read today and the things that you've heard, are that that's not true. And I think we know that. I think we're aware that there are implications about the ways that we live far beyond the end of our living. I want to jump back into Deuteronomy chapter 6 for a moment. And I want to read beginning in verse 10. 
This is what it says. When the Lord your God brings you into the land. Remember, the commands and decrees that were given were for the time that when they would get to the land, they could then live those out. He says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to you a land with large and flourishing cities that you did not build and houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then you will eat and are satisfied. And be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. The story of our lives is not just about me and you. The story of my life and of Corey's, it's at least about Cooper and Branson and Tucker and Kinley. And and, and I don't know what their children are going to be like, and I don't know what their children's children are going to be like. I went to a wedding yesterday of Pastor Trevor and Lauren. They got they got married, and we were there, and we went to the reception afterwards, and the father-daughter dance happened, and I took Kinley to the dance floor. She's three. I took Kinley to the dance floor. She stood on my feet, and we danced a little bit. And then she said that she was tired of that. And so I picked her up and we danced a little bit. And I said, are we going to dance at your wedding when you marry a boy? And she said, um, let me think about that. <laughs> and I said, well, I said, who are you going to marry? She said, I'll figure that out when I get older. And I thought, yep, let's figure that out way, way, way from now. <laughs> I don't know what her kids are going to be like. I don't know what Cooper and Branson and Tucker's kids are going to be like. And I think this reaches beyond just parenthood. There are other kids in my life. I danced with my niece yesterday. I'm on the hook to live a life that influences her in a positive way. There were other kids on that dance floor that I'm connected to. There were other kids sitting at the tables eating food. There were other kids in the room as we were going through that ceremony. I was coaching baseball yesterday of two different teams and a part of a third team because my kids play on those teams. And I think I'm a part of the lives, at least the sphere of influence, of those kids that God has entrusted to me. There are kids that live on my street and they play in my yard and they play down in that cul-de-sac. And I think God has allowed me to be a part of their lives and I'm on the hook for them. At least in part. My life doesn't just end when I end being. I can live in such a way that it matters beyond my living. And I think that's a heavy thing for all of us. It shouldn't be scary. It shouldn't be something that stresses us out. But it is a heavy thing. And what we read right here is he says, listen, when you get into that land... When the future happens, when the promises that are out in front of you and yet unrealized happen, just know that when you get there, you'll drink from wells you didn't dig. And you will eat from vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And you will be in houses that you did not build. And I think back on my life. And I think about the things that I've enjoyed because of the former generations. Now, again, I know that not every family tree is filled with stories of faith like Pastor Blake has talked about this morning. And mine is. I do have not every single branch, but there are stories of faith throughout my family tree. And for those that have that, you should be thankful for that. For those that don't, I think there's something to be learned. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But even outside of faith, I think there are things that we benefit from. There are skills that you have because your dad or your mom or your grandfather or your aunt or your uncle or your neighbor, when they were changing their brakes or changing the oil or they were decorating something or they were sewing something, they said, hey, come sit here and watch me. 
And you know how to do something because somebody took the time to say, why don't you come and learn what I know so that when I'm gone, you'll know it and can teach someone else. Some of you are in this church. You haven't always been in church. But you are in this church because years before, there was somebody that invited you or took you I said, hey, you need to come to my church. You need to be in church. And maybe you've gotten disconnected over the years, but you're here because back there, somebody dug a well so that you could drink. And somebody planted a tree so that you could eat. Somebody built a house so that you could live. And I would say to you today, if you say, yeah, but man, I don't have a lot of those stories. Like, you don't understand. That's not my story. Like, I, I don't have the branches filled with faith, and I don't have a lot of people that really invested in me. I'm, I'm kind of a self-made man. I'm kind of a self-made woman. I'm like first generation figuring this thing out because nobody really took the time. Then here's what I would say to you as a challenge, and I think it matters for all of us. Then what will the future generation say about your investment in them? Why can't you start a new legacy? Why can't years from now Someone walking along, sit down under the shade of a tree that you planted today. Why can't a future niece or nephew come to know the saving grace of God because of the prayers that you pray today? I think the words of Moses from God to his people say, hey, that there were... All of these things back there that we should be thankful for. And I think that's the case for all of us to some degree. But he said to us, right, the you and you and because of you and to you and to you and to you. He said to you and your children. And your children's children. I think what he's saying is, listen, if you're just building on the legacy that already exists, then do it. And if you need to start a new legacy for your family and for your sphere of influence, then do it. Because this is a personal call to you. And so here's how I want to kind of close today as we pray. If you're a parent or a grandparent in the room, the application may seem very obvious to you. I think you are called to make sure That love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength is not just words on a page, but it is words and life that you impress on the hearts of your children and you model for your grandchildren. I think it's your calling. If you would say to me today, hey, we're married, we don't have kids, I don't know that we'll ever have kids, then I think that you make sure that the lives that you are living today will matter for eternity for someone else. I think that you ensure that your marriage is a model for someone even outside of your immediate family. To say, well, if they can make it, I can make it. Because I know what their past is. I know they didn't come from a tree that was filled with faith. And yet, look at them. They're making it work. And somewhere down the road, there's going to be a marriage saved because they looked at yours. And you made it. If you're single in the room, maybe you're a student in the room. You say, hey, this doesn't even apply to me. I don't have kids. I don't have a significant other. I don't have a husband, a wife, a fiance, a boyfriend, a girl. I don't have anybody. I'm by myself. 
Guess what the application is for you? To make sure that the personal calling of God to obey His decrees and obey His commands is something that you live out. So that when the day comes, if the day comes, that you are looking for someone to spend your life with, you do not have to start then preparing yourself to be the person that they're looking for. Andy Stanley says this to singles all the time. Are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you the kind of person that the person you're looking for is looking for? And if not, then you've got to start working on you before you start looking for anybody else. Live out the decrees. Live out the commands. Pursue God. Pursue relationship. So that at some point in the future, as God brings you together, and maybe kids are in that future, and grandkids down the line, and you can't even imagine that now. You have already started now at 14 and 16 and 20 and 22 and 25 and 30 and 35. No matter your age, no matter your stage, you say, I am committed to leaving a lasting legacy. I am looking beyond my family structure to find people that God has given into my sphere that are from the next generation. That I can say, this is what it means to follow after God. I think this is the call of God. I think this is the command of God. That we would live in such a way that our lives really do matter beyond our living. And the best way to grow our faith for tomorrow is to tell the stories of yesterday. Find ways to do that as creatively as possible to those that come after. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes as we conclude today and we pray. God, I pray for every parent in the room. Pray for every grandparent in the room. I pray, God, that they're calling to be moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas of faith of something that they receive today. And that they would lead their families and invest in their kids and their grandkids in such a way that faith is a core part of their relationship. It's not just an add-on. They would love their kids and their grandkids just like you love those kids and grandkids. So that your love for them is never something they have to wrestle with because they know the way mom and dad love them. They know the way grandma and grandpa love them. Help them to live that out today pray for every married couple or engaged couple in the room, maybe that doesn't have kids, that they wouldn't view it as something that's lacking or something that they've done wrong. But God, I just, it's a desire of their heart or it's something that hasn't happened yet in either case. That God, you would help them to see their lives as something that matters even beyond themselves. That you have entrusted children and those of the next generation into their sphere of influence and they can have a lasting impact there. God, I pray for singles and I pray for students today. I pray for people of all ages that don't know what the future looks like and they're not really sure how they have a lasting impact. God, let them work on themselves. Let them live in ways that honor your decrees and help them prepare themselves to be the kind of person that the person they're looking for is looking for. So that no matter what their future holds, they are living a life that's starting a legacy. God, for those that have something to be thankful for in their past, let us be thankful. 
And for those who can't seem to find a lot back there to be proud of, let us start today building the kind of legacy that we want the future generations to be thankful for. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.